The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning. Good morning, Scott. So obviously uh, earlier this week, we saw the inflation rate um, dip down just a little bit. I mean, it it was a small, uh, a small amount, but at least it's going down and not up. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's a great point, Scott. Yes. So 3.8% is the CPI consumer price index. And you know what, if it goes up Mm 0.2%, you know, been front page news, Yeah, but it went down by 0.2%. And oh, wow. A little bit of a surprise. They were expecting four. They didn't expect anything different. And so I'll actually be getting into this a little bit more during my session. Um, but and what's the ramification for you as a consumer and the listener? How does this affect you? So, no, it's uh, definitely heading in the right direction, as you said, Scott. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be, I, I've tracked this through since last year. And you're seeing a, you know, a massive decrease. But we haven't seen any changes yet for those, uh, unfortunately, those the, that are on variable rate mortgages or line of credits. And you know what? It it has it's it's affecting everything. And and, and there's potential how much slowdown or and I, and you know I've I've got a little bit of information on this. It'll be interesting to go through it. But in the meantime, I know Jay has got a very lively session. <laughs> And yeah, what's the topic again? <laughs> yeah, death insurance. Oh, death insurance. that is. And it's, wow. Yeah, yeah, appropriate with Halloween around the corner. So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, death, death insurance, otherwise known as life insurance. So, we're going to refer to it as death insurance today just because I think the the term life insurance is a little misleading. It's it's a marketing thing. Obviously, when it, we talk about life insurance, it makes you feel it's about life, not death. And and no one wants to talk about about either, but, wait, but, but wait a sec, Jay. Maybe they would yeah. sell more if they called it death insurance because bad <laughs> stuff sells. Death sells, maybe, right? Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But they, it's been, it's been around for over a hundred years, so I don't think they're changing the name just yet. But um, yeah, so far too often we get we get a lot of objections or, or objections when we bring it up during the financial planning process. We we'll say to people, you know, we'll recommend insurance as part of their financial plan, and they'll say. Well, I don't believe in life insurance or death insurance in this case. And we you know we've said it before, but it's not a religion. You don't believe in it. It's not something that you you actually have to believe in. It's you know, it's you have to see the benefits, how it fits into your plan. So as opposed to having that objection right off the bat that you don't believe in it, maybe have an open mind and look at how it fits into your plan. Um, often we hear it costs too much. And often we find it's it's far more tax preferred to the estate um, from a cost perspective. Um, in the long run. So it actually costs less to your estate or less to yourself um, from a tax perspective. So you have to look at all the numbers and see whether it really makes sense or not. So using that that objection of it costs too much, you really have to look at what it what actually is the cost. Um, and then not insurable. A lot of people say, well, I'm not insurable. I'm, I'm overweight or I've got high blood pressure. I've got high cholesterol, diabetes. I'm a smoker. Um, so all of those cases, we've had people get approved. Um, yeah, there are some cases where people get declined. Absolutely. 
absolutely when it's an extreme case, but there's, there's a lot of insurance carriers out there that, that make accommodations. You can, you can get policies issued that could be rated. So you're slightly higher in terms of cost. So again, that objection earlier about it costs too much, it may cost too much. Um, if you're if you're not healthy so but it's worth going through the process and seeing if you could qualify so don't just discount the fact that um, you think you're in poor health and you can't get insurance there are there are many options out there and many carriers that will insure people with uh, pre-existing conditions um, a lot of people say well I don't I don't care what my kids get or what what's what they get is what they get at the end of the day whatever's left over they get well that's that's fair I, I get that moral uh, the moral compass or that moral mentality of you know leave them what they're going to get or my kids are fine they have good jobs they don't need any more money but I, I also look at it and when we do a financial plan for someone we look at what actually is going to go to the government or what's what CRA is going to get and so we use insurance as uh, a bridge between giving money to your kids fine or giving money to CRA and uh, every time we ask clients would you rather give money to your kids or rather give money to CRA it's always to the kids so uh, you definitely want to look at this and say okay what are my tax implications at death what are what are my uh, projected estate costs to the to CRA and then we work work in an element of insurance into that Don you had something to say yeah you know it, I'm glad you put it that way there Jay because at the end of the day there is a choice they will be giving funds inherited funds to the kids or they could be giving a lot more money to the government and it and you're absolutely right there's such well you know whatever happens happens you can't have that kind of leaves a fair attitude when it comes to estate planning. You'll end up giving an absolute truckload of money that you could have avoided to the government and your kids end up being shortchanged. So again, it really is a choice, government or family, which do you prefer? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we've never, we've had uh, being in this business as long as we've been in uh, the business, we've, we've seen clients pass away. And whenever we hand over that insurance check, We've never had a case where the kids say, hey, whoa, that was too much. That's just too much for the insurance. <laughs> no, no, send some of that. Yeah. Can you give that some of that yeah. to the government? I don't feel yeah, right. Can you, can, can you give that to CRA, please? We don't want that. Yeah, never, <laughs> ever have we had that situation. So, yeah, so this is a insurance is a great way to provide provide for your dependents. Um, if you're gone tomorrow uh, with the loss of your income, uh, cause your dependents financial hardship. So you have to look at that and say, okay, let's take a snapshot today where we're at. If something should happen to me today, are my dependents going to be okay? Um, it's not just an estate thing like I was referring to earlier. It's it's for today as well. So we have to look, there's two different ways to look at it, either for an estate purpose or for the immediate need as of today. So there's two different ways to look at death insurance. Uh, funding for specific purposes. So when insurance pays out, it can be fun. It can fund specific objectives such as paying for a child's education, uh, paying off a mortgage, paying off a debt, covering the cost of, of a family cottage or something like that. So let's say you've got a cottage and the costs are X amount of dollars. Well, who's going to pay for that? If the kids aren't in a position to pay for that, this insurance can be used to, to pay for some of those costs. Um, so you don't necessarily need millions of dollars in an insurance policy. It can be a small policy that covers off the cost for a number of years going forward. So there's all different types of needs and wants for this type of insurance. Uh, building retirement savings. So a lot of people don't understand that it, uh, insurance can be used as an investment vehicle. It's a tax preferred investment vehicle on death, but it can also be 
used as a, an investment vehicle and you can borrow against policies. So some of the policies that are out there can generate a cash value um, and then you can pull the money out on a tax preferred or a tax sheltered basis. So a lot of people aren't aware that it can be used as an investment. It's just not a death insurance as we as we were calling earlier here. And, and really to your point jay uh, there's really only three investments that are tax-free at death when you pass on to your kids to your and that would be your principal residence yep that is kind of a coveted canadian thing um, everybody doesn't want to touch that i know they always you know think they may attack it during the next uh, budget uh tax-free savings accounts um and of course life insurance so those are the yep. three main pockets and and you really should take advantage of these three yeah no Absolutely. Um, good. Great point, Don. Uh, equalizing inheritance. So uh, this one comes up often in our, our situation. So someone's got a family cottage where they want to leave the cottage to, you know, three kids and two of the kids say, we don't really want the cottage. Um, so you leave the cottage to one child and then you replace it with uh, with that, that equalization payment of whatever the value of the cottage is with an insurance policy. And then the insurance policy would be paid out to the other two beneficiaries that aren't receiving the cottage or whatever asset it might be. It could be a business, it could be a cottage. Um, so if there's a particular need or, or an asset that you want to pass on to one person or one one um, one of your beneficiaries and the other one you want to equalize, insurance is a great way to, to equalize that. Uh, paying off debts, we kind of mentioned that earlier. Great way to pay off your debts is, is to have an insurance policy that pays off a mortgage perhaps, uh, pays off a debt within your business. Um, we've talked about it, we've done a whole show on mortgage insurance before. Definitely don't advise people to get mortgage insurance. Look at getting personal insurance, uh, mortgage insurance, light, line of credit insurance, loan insurance, all of those. Um, there's better options than just going to the bank. Often they're more expensive than regular life insurance uh, um, and hard to claim on as well. Um, covering your taxes. So um, again, we talked about it briefly at the beginning there, but uh, estate, estate taxes. So you've got, you've got a big tax bill that you're going to be faced with if you've got a lot of money in RSPs. Uh, um, or you've got a cottage that has significant capital gains, how are you going to pay the taxes or how is your, your beneficiaries going to pay for those taxes? So are they going to have to liquidate the cottage or sell the cottage in order to pay for the tax bill? So you definitely want to make sure that you look and forecast what the taxes possible would on your estate. And then how does that look? How are you going to pay for, or how is your estate going to pay for those taxes? So again, having a life insurance policy to cover off those taxes is a great way to, to preserve what you've got if you want to keep the family cottage for an example a great way to keep the cottage and not not have to liquidate that um, again eliminating taxes on death um, there are strategies using insurance that can eliminate taxes on death you could for example ensure the lives of your children um, a lot of people don't realize that but you could uh, take a policy out on your kids um, and while you're alive you're the owner and, and, and you can put funnel money into this policy which grows a cash value grows an, uh, an insurance value in the policy and then upon your death the policy is transferred to to your child um, so now they're the owner of the policy so that's an immediate transfer of assets you can shelter money in that policy it continues to grow over time and then that money could be passed on to the next generation so to the grandkids for an example so as opposed to giving them tax taxed assets um, you can pass on these assets and that goes tax-free to the next next generation or the following generation so a great way to create a legacy 
Um, a lot of people want to want to give money to their kids these days and, and giving money for the purchase of houses and whatnot. But this is a way to to guarantee um, the assets will be transferred on to the next generation. So not just to your kids, but to your grandkids. It's uh, donating to charity. So a lot of people don't realize this, but you can you can identify uh, a charity as your beneficiary on a life insurance policy. It's a great way to donate money to a charity of your choice. If you've you've been philanthropic throughout your years of of, of income earning, and now you're at a point where um, some money and you want to put it into a life insurance policy, you can donate the money to the charity, or you can donate the policy basically to the charity. This can alleviate some tax bills as well at the at the time of death um, a great way to to give money to chi as well as as well as save some taxes uh, funding a buy sell agreement we've done a whole show on this before great way to 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 fund a buy sell agreement won't get into the details on that but that's something that you know with the shareholders agreement that we have businesses um, and this is a great way to to cover off that that tax liability or the liability of having to buy out one of the other partners upon uh, a partner's death uh, key person insurance, we've done a show on that as well. well uh, great way you can cover off um, if someone of your key employees happens to pass away and there's going to be a, a, a space when you, when you don't have coverage for that person, uh, life insurance can, can provide coverage on that person if they should happen to pass away. Um, and during that transition of hiring someone else or replacing that person, you've got insurance to cover that off. So don't want to be doom and gloom, but death insurance is what it is. It's death insurance, not life insurance. And if you want to speak to one of us, by, by all means, reach out to Don or I, and we'll, we'll be happy to discuss what your options are. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Don, we were speaking earlier, the inflation rate sitting at about 3.8% now, but there's good, bad, and ugly versions of this? Uh, oh, yeah. Inflation <laughs> can rear its head in a few different corners. Um, most of the time, it's negative, and uh, kind of the bad is, you know, just the the normal increase in costs. You know, people are just tired of it. Um, basically, your dollars are just can't go as far as they could. So yeah, now you have to start making choices or you start going into debt. And that's not good either. So you look at where inflation went down to 3.8%. Now, if you look at from 1934 to now, the inflation rate average was 3.5%. And I know we talked to Philip Peterson not too long ago on the show, and this you know Bank of Canada goal of 2%. Um, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for it that we know of, but anyway, they want to get it down to 2%. Um, will they be relentless till it gets to that stage? I don't know. But 3.8, it's heading in the right direction. But it's also interesting. It's gone down from 8.1%, which was June 1st of last year, 2022. So it's come down a long ways. And yes, it, a lot of it had to do with increasing the interest rates. Because with that, you know, people just 
borrowing costs go up um, and inflation itself is, is a bit of a drain on your spending. So, but then it's kind of two parts of it. CPI is what most people hear about, but what about consumer price index, less energy and food? And I actually think this is more of an important one because those can vary a lot. And if you ever look at the charts, it's actually incredible how smoothed out it is without those two items. And we all know the grocery costs have had a, you know, a huge impact. They were in double digits. But now, if you, if you take out food and gas prices, as an example, the inflation rate in the last year is 3.2%. So that's getting quite close to the normal, if you will. And it, it has come down from July 1st of last year was 5.5%. So that is the kind of the real core inflation. Now, is it all good? Well, it's kind of funny. If you actually look at the inflation rate across Canada, you got Nova Scotia at one end at 4.8%. Ontario is at 3.6. So it's actually under the Canadian average. Manitoba is at 2.6. So they're making policies right now that maybe the Manitobians don't even need. They're already at 2.6. How, sure how do you explain that, Don? Why is there so much difference from province to province? Um, there's rent costs that go in, housing right. costs. Just and a more expensive, least expensive places to live. Exactly. Right. Yeah, those are the bigger parts. Yeah, the grocery costs and, and those type of things aren't affected at all. Those are you know world, um, countrywide. So it is interesting for if you go from Manitoba to Nova Scotia, there's a 2% difference in inflation rate. Um, and and we're in the same country here. So that that's, you know, like I said, it's getting close. And you look at it as well, really what this is, and this is the bad part, is the prime lending rate was not long ago, 2.45%. And, and, you know, the consumer could get a mortgage at prime less one for mm -hmm. a five-year mortgage if it was a variable rate. Well, that was 1.45. Now, the prime rate is 7.2. So they've gone from, call it, one and a half percent mortgages to six and a half percent mortgages that's a massive increase and that's the ugly that's the real ugly if you want to say the good bad and the ugly this is no question the ugly portion of this yeah and yep. you know you, you're talking about the discount on when it was a lower rate and they were giving one percent discounts on that prime rate they're tightening that even now right like i've, I've seen a lot of institutions where they're only giving half off prime now um yeah and so that's actually at the good the, end now yeah. Yeah. So the discount is not as, as dramatic and the rate's gone up. So it's like a double whammy. So that's, that's the ugly right there. No question. And yeah. you always wonder why, yeah. okay, the rates are at the all time lows and we're going to discount it by a full percent. Now we're at rates that are quite a bit higher, like 20 year highs. Oh, we're not going to discount as much anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes no sense. So at a percentage of the percentage, if you will, at two and a half, you take 1% off two and a half percent, that's like a 40% reduction of that rate. Mm -hmm. And now, if they were to do a 40% reduction on a 7.2 rate, we'd be down to like three and a half percent mortgages. So yeah, yeah there's, it, it's, I don't know quite how the banking system works on this, but absolutely, it's the ugly side of it. And it's actually putting a lot more um, pressure on people's finances, just that alone. So you got two things. You're absolutely right, right, Jay. So now the good. How can there be any good in this? Well, there is some good. And the good is that, well, if you have money, you can actually invest it and get a pretty good rate of return. If you locked your money up, 
a year and a half ago for five years, you'd be lucky to get one and a half percent. Now you're getting over 5%. Now, is that a good investment? Well, it's something Jay's going to actually touch on a little later. But right. I, 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 I suspect it isn't. Um, histor- historically speaking, it isn't. But if you got cash and you're saying, well, it, we used to not even care about cash. If there was money sitting in the bank, well, I'm going to need it in six months. And I've got $100,000 sitting in cash. Well, I might as well just leave it there. I don't make any in- income anyway. Like even if you locked it up into a six-month a six term deposit, you'd make half percent luck if you're lucky. Now you're actually making over 5%. If you have in a, in a, like in a money market fund, you're making 5% right now. So it's actually great for those that have just loose cash. They can actually make some money on the sidelines. So that's, that's the good. And hot off the press. And Jay, you may not even know this yet. I just literally found this out this morning. Uh, the TFSA limit has gone up to $7,000 for next year. Hmm. Yeah, I read I read that this morning as well. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I was uh, a little surprised because I was actually thinking it would. You know, it's never gone up two years in a row. So last year it went up from six thousand to six thousand five hundred dollars, um, and that's because inflation it was indexed by six point three percent. Well, this year it's, it's been indexed by four point seven, and that actually they only they move it up in increments of five hundred dollars, and. This happened to be enough to move it up to the 7,000 mark. So what it means for the, for the uh, investor is your lifetime limit for contributions to a TFSA now, as of next year, 2024, will be $95,000. And that's per spouse. So you, you think back to this lowly TFSA, TFSA idea that started in 20, 2009, and it started with a $5,000 uh, limit. And that la- limit lasted into 2012. They bumped it up four years later to 5,500. Then we had this one aberration of 10,000, which was great. But then um, the liberals got in. They said, well, that was only for the rich. <laughs> okay. And they bumped it back down to uh, uh, 5,500 for another three more years. And then finally, inflation's caught up to it. It's gone from 6,000 to 6,500, now 7,000. And so I... I have a strong opinion on the tax-free savings account, and it by far is not for the rich. This is uh, more for seniors than anybody, because generally speaking, um, younger people are focusing on retirement planning, and they're putting money in RSPs or ESPs for their kids, paying off their high-interest mortgages now. Um, TFSAs are probably last on the list of things that they need to save a vehicle to save money in. Seniors, on the other hand, Quite often are mortgage-free, no longer have kids, and and they can't make contributions to their RSP, and they have some extra money, and it's going into tax-free savings accounts. And, and also, quite often, they're downsizing, and it gives them a chance to catch up for all that TFSA room that they you know just didn't have the money for. No, that's a good point, Don. Like You look back in 2009, if when it started, and if you're 18 years old, please remember, any listeners that are, that are younger... Um, they don't, you don't lose that room. That TFSA room keeps accumulating over time. So even though you haven't taken advantage of it and you think, oh, you know, I have never taken advantage of this TFSA. I was 18 years old when I was in 2009 and I had student loans and then I got a job and then I got a mortgage. And, you know, now you're fast forward 14 years ahead and, and now you're thinking, geez, maybe this is 
it's a good idea for me to start saving. It's not too late. You you don't lose that room. It accumulates yeah. over time. Whether you were 18 in 2009 or 60 in 2009, it doesn't matter. Um, that room still accumulates for every single Canadian while you're in the country. Um, I noticed one, we had one client. Yeah, we had one client that left the country and went to Australia for six years from in between the, now and 2009. And you don't accumulate TFSA room during that time, just so you're aware. So that's yeah. uh, for any listeners that travel abroad. Yeah, and that's a great point because nobody wants to pay that 1% per month penalty. And it, it's not based on if you're a Canadian citizen. It's based on residency during that time. So right. if you've left Canada, gone to Singapore, Australia, U.S., what have you, for a work stint, and you've literally cut your ties and you're no longer a resident, you are therefore a non-resident and you will not be able to contribute to not only TFSAs, but also RESPs um, fall into the same program. So, so that's it for TFSAs. Now, what I'd like to talk about just briefly, I know we have about five minutes left, is risk and where are you investing money right now because it's it's interesting people are very call it more aggressive when the markets are up now and then of course when markets are down they, they tend to get more conservative and and it's more of a, a feeling and how do you put a number to a feeling and this is where the whole financial industry struggles with this and we're on the only business where when we raise our prices people want to buy more Okay, so when the stock market's higher, people want to say, oh, wow, look, look at what it's done in the last year. I want some of that stuff. So you liken it to, you know, to gas prices. If they all of a sudden say, hey, well, gas prices up 20 percent. Everybody's saying, well, I'll just wait. Maybe they'll come down. On the other hand, when we lower our prices, people run away. When the gas, when all of a sudden, if there was a 20 percent drop in the gas pumps, People will be lining up down the street. So we are in a totally different industry because it's an emotional industry. And we have all financial planning companies have something which is a, we call an IPQ. It's basically investment profile questionnaire. And they all have these. And it's a questionnaire on how should you invest your money? I personally, it, okay, at the very best, they give you an indication but if the average person filled in an, uh, an IPQ, whether it was with your broker at a bank, anytime you have to fill in an investment, they have to find your risk tolerance. And it goes from very conservative, conservative, moderate conservative to moderate, moderate aggressive to aggressive, and very aggressive. And I took a look at this, and I, I, I guess I, I'm somewhat negative on these because they are so hard to fill out. Like... A very, it's just an example of a very aggressive person. A very aggressive person suggests that you have a very high risk tolerance. We describe a very high risk tolerance as the ability to tolerate extreme volatility in portfolio value, recognizing there's a high probability of periods with reduced portfolio value. Oh my God, that sounds horrible. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Who wants that? This yeah. basically is going all over the map. You are going to lose money one year. You may lose the whole thing. Extreme volatility. What the heck is that? Well, when you actually dig a little deeper, it means that you could drop your hundred. Let's say at a, a five hundred thousand dollar investment, it could drop to four hundred thousand. But that's one year. That is extreme volatility. So it would be a twenty percent drop, according to this particular IPQ. It would say you 
that's a, a, a terrible outcome. And yes, nobody wants to lose 20%. But boy, that description makes it sound a lot worse than that because it also can go up 20%. And by the way, if you look at this type of investment over a 15-year period, your return would have been a re at least 65 to 8%, okay? And you would have lost about, there would have been four negative years in 15 years. So I'm now looking, okay, let's take a look at what is the long-term result of this? Well, I would like to have that 8% rate of return over 15 years. I don't need the money. So how do I get to that extreme volatility? First, you have to fill in this questionnaire. So this questionnaire says, okay, are you, what's your time, what's your investment objective? What's your time horizon? What's your investment knowledge? These are all drop down menus that you have to take a look at. What are you using the money for? What's your risk capacity? And you go through all these questionnaires to, for that. And of course, your investment knowledge um, goes into this. So I hypothetically just filled in these things and I put in the highest thing in every category, except for, I didn't put in, as far as my investment knowledge, I thought, you know what, I'll just put in good. I'm not going to be excellent in that. And I have, and I'm going to put in that, yes, I have a, a million dollar year income. I put everything to the highest level, just out of curiosity. Can I invest in the highest uh, risk tolerance? Uh, and turns out, no, you can't. <laughs> okay. You literally could be 35 years old, have a huge long-term. Um, you suggest you can't accept the, the high risk. And at the end of the day, you still come out as moderate aggressive to aggressive. You can never be very aggressive. Unless so Don, you're, you have, you, you, Don, you're saying if you tell them that you're not smart enough, they won't let you. Right. You, you tell them you're, you're smart, they'll let you. Yes. But they don't, they don't test how smart you are. <laughs> right. There's no IQ. There's no IQ test on this. And this is a very this is a great point, Jay, because I find people that know a lot about it are usually modest. And they they never think they know that much. And the mm -hmm. ones that think they know a lot <laughs> are yeah. probably not don't they need to know more. Why yeah, are you so looking at me? Why are you looking at me when you're saying that? You're looking you weren't looking at Jay, you were looking right at me. So all I'm just saying for those the listeners out there, when you have to fill, this is so important to, to speak to your financial planner, find out what you really should be in to get a real good idea of your risk tolerance. And that's why we really go do our due diligence to try to put you in the right area. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, and Jay Llewellyn here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Welland are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, uh, Jay, so inspired by Don's good, bad, and the ugly 
of inflation. We're doing a part two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, not necessarily just with inflation, but overall uh, markets, GICs, everything that's going on. Uh, Don and I, before we got on the air, we called it a mis- mix, mix mash or mismatch or whatever you want to call it. But we're, we're kind of throwing everything at it here today. So just looking at, you know, on Don's point about the TFSA limits going up, which is great. The other thing that has gone up for people is their CPP and OAS, right? With inflation, because um, it's indexed to inflation as well as your pension. So if you've got a government pension or you've got a teacher's pension or a pension period that's indexed, um, you've enjoyed the fact that inflation has been high. Um, yeah, your price of goods has gone up, but your income has also gone up during this time. So that's that's not a bad thing. So there is some good uh that has come from inflation. Um, I look at um, a lot of people sitting on the sidelines with cash, sitting in GICs or sitting in money market or just sitting in bank accounts because bank accounts are, are paying a little bit more than they were before. So people are comfortable. So we look at it and say, okay, what's going on in the markets? Uh, the Jones up 2%, TSX up 1.5%, NASDAQ up 29% year to date, uh, S&P 500 in the US up 139 So if there's all this doom and gloom with, the, the stuff going on in the Middle East, the war in Ukraine, uh, recently the stuff that's going on at Capitol Hill. Why is the market not going down, right? Uh, supply chain issues have, have figured themselves out. Why is the market not going down? And people are still funneling money into the market and they have a, 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 a slight confidence in the market right now um, because their net worths haven't really dropped that much. Yeah, the price of houses has dropped a little bit. Maybe from the peak it's dropped, but I looked at the price of houses from last year to this year and they're down about 1% um, from time to time. Yeah, there was a peak um, in December or, or late late November last year, um, but the average price of a house in Hamilton is $776,000. It was around there a year ago as well. So people's net worth hasn't changed a whole lot. Everyone's still employed. People are not employed. So the job rates are, are, are down. So we're, we're looking good. So people have this confidence in the market still, and it's still pushing that market up because people are still buying stocks, um, even though they're not, they're not, they may be sitting with cash as well, um, because cash is looking so good, um, people are in a good position right now. So I think that's what's driving the market slightly higher. Um, and then inflation dropping down gives people confidence as well. So there's a lot of things that are pushing people in that confidence uh, area. Yeah, if you've got a mortgage, uh, your costs have gone up drastically, um, about 30% in the last year. So yeah, your price of house hasn't maybe changed that much, but your, your cost to, to run a household um, has gone up by over 30% year over year. So ridiculous. Rent's gone up 7.3% in Hamilton year over year. So there's lots of things that have gone up, obviously. Um, so people are very confident in the markets because they keep going up. Like Don said in the beginning, when markets are going up and when they're overpriced, people want to keep buying. And that's what's happening right now. And um, we're seeing people to buy into the markets when they're at, when they're at a high point or they're still going up. On the other side, uh, people are buying GICs. And there's lots of advertisements out there. I was looking through uh, a bunch of web pages this morning before I got on the air and just seeing what's out there and what's available. You can get a five-year GIC right now paying 5.35%. Um, so very similar to what Money Market is paying. Um, and, and historically, um, GICs, if you bought a longer term, it paid more. So if you locked in for a longer period of time, so you're giving the bank your money for a longer period of time, you get a higher rate of return. And right now, a one-year rate is paying 5.75. So you're better to be short-term right now than long-term. Historically, 
it's way better to live it, leave it for a longer term because the banks want to keep that money. Like what is the GIC exactly? It's a guaranteed inv- income certificate. You're lending the money to the bank so they can lend it back out at a profit, right? So if you're getting 5%, they're turning around and lending it in a mortgage or a line of credit or a loan at a higher rate, seven, eight, nine percent So they're making that money. So Don and I look at this and say, yeah, why wouldn't we invest in someone like that? Why wouldn't we invest in the banks, right? Great. Recently, they haven't been the greatest, but why wouldn't we, if we're going to give them the money in the GIC, why wouldn't we just buy it? If they're going to be making profits on that money, why wouldn't we just buy into the banks? Um, so that's an example, uh, a quick example of what, what goes on with your GIC. We saw this one advertisement that today, or, or maybe it was yesterday, and they were saying uh, an equity index GIC gets you 25% return. And that, that, was the, the, that was the tagline. That was it, 25% return. So, Perfect, sign me up. I'm yeah, in. So 25 yeah. guaranteed? Guaranteed. Wow. Not to lose your money. Yeah. What could so, be wrong with that? Was that <laughs> I, we, I trust what that, that kind of advertising would say. Let's, uh, there should be a lineup for that, I'm sure, Jay. <laughs> well, I'm sure there is. People are running to these places to see what's going on before they read the fine print. And it, actually, the fine print, when I read it, it's over five years. So you have to lock your money up for five huh. years to get the 25%. So that's 5% per year. What they forget to tell you is that's not compounding. So your $100,000, if you put it in a GIC, at the end of five years, you're guaranteed to get your $125,000. So that's not compounding. That's just 25% on your 100 grand if you leave it there for five years. If you don't leave it there for five years, you don't get your 25%. After the five years, however, if you were to put it in a regular investment getting 5% and it was compounding, it would be $128,335, $3,335 more to get the exact same investment, but it was compounding. So we're not going to get into compounding today, but yeah. oh, my point end is- of the, Yeah, end of the day, Jay, they're ad, it should have had an advertisement 4.56% per year for hmm. five years. Because that's the actual yeah. rate. But that's, that's not nearly as sexy. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, you're going to give some tips, five ways that we can help the grandkids financially. Well, you know what? In terms of where the demographics show, it's usually not the grandparents that are in poverty. In fact, the poverty rate is the highest is in the working area from 18 to 55 because they are raising kids. They are got mortgages. They got everything. So the poverty rate actually is over 8% for that age group in Canada and around 5% for people over 65. 
So even though you think, okay, well, it's Seniors Day at you know this store, and you get a discount, it really should be, uh, you know, a family day where they get the discount because they need it more than the grandparents. So since the grandparents do have a few extra dollars normally, um, what do you do? Maybe they can help out the grandkids because the parents often can't afford it. So the natural spot would be registered education savings plans, and that is such a great idea. Um, top up those every year. It's it's twenty five hundred a year is the maximum. Um, you know, it's thirty six thousand between age zero to eighteen is how much you can contribute, and you're getting seventy four seventy two hundred dollars um, a grant money from the government. Doesn't get much better that than free money from the government that goes into the grandkids' pot for education. I highly recommend the grandparents chip in or take over the whole load. To be honest, because it's it is a lot of money. On top of what the you know the kids are trying to do with daycare costs and everything else, so that's one spot. But you know what? There's other things that they can do. What happens when they get a little bit older? And one area, and we do this all the time. I know Jay and I, um, when when they've now reached the point that they're 18 years old, you you really can't contribute to an RESP. You can, but you don't get that 20% grant money back. So why not put it into a tax-free savings account for them? And once they're 18. They now have that access. They're allowed to put their maximum to the uh, TFSA only for that year. So this year, they could put in six thousand dollars. Now you got to wait till this 18th birthday. So if they're if they're born December 1st, well, wait till December 2nd because you put it in early. You cannot put it in yet. Okay. Then January, then they can put in the maximum every year after that. And what a great way to help save some money in the grandkids' name, plus tax free, no strings attached. We don't have to wait for them to go to university. It can be used for their first house. Just a very good way to kind of funnel the money down to, and really at an area that everybody needs a little bit of help. Now, the other way we're talking about help, it's kind of funny. The lump sum cash never goes away. You know, you just give money. And, you know, if the kids are saying, I could use this and I could use that, it's, it's kind of funny because there's this age group. They were never given anything. Okay. Um, you know, your parents perhaps never were given anything from their parents. And so they said, like, well, I'm not going to give anything to my kids. And it seems to be a mindset, but why, why wait till they, you know, pass on? They're 95 years old. Maybe helping the grandkids might not be a bad time right now. So why not pass down the dollars now? Let them see them enjoy it. Let them see, you know, whatever the case may, and maybe even be part of it. So lump sum cash gifts never go away. I know Jay mentioned about the whole life insurance policies and another great way to funnel money down in, in a very tax effective way. And possibly, you know, whole life insurance, as you get older, gets more expensive. So here's another way that the grandparents could help use money to help fund a whole life insurance policy that the beneficiary would eventually be the grandkids. And again, just another way to pass on the dollars the most tax effective way possible. As I said earlier in the show, principal residents, tax-free savings accounts, and life insurance policies are the only pure tax-free areas in Canada. So why not utilize them? And finally, how about your will? You know, if you don't put, and again, quite often you'll say, oh, I'm just leaving some money to the kids. They can use it. They can just pass it on to the grandkids. I'm sure I'll leave them, I'll leave it up to them. Well, why not put the grandkids right in your will? And I often say there's two ways to do this. You either do as a token amount, I'm going to give them $5,000 and write that rate in, or $10,000, whatever the case may be. 
and they will get this lump sum. I, I don't know about you, but I personally would feel better and say, well, my grandparents remembered me because it came right out of the will and you got this check for $5,000. It's, it's a token amount, but it means you were thought of it during the will. The other is a percentage, and this would be more of a larger amount. So you say, okay, I'm going to give my three kids uh, 30% each, and 10% will be split among the grandkids. Okay, and if for a larger estate, this may be a very good way to do it. And let's say 2% each grandkid if they had five grandkids. So again, many ways to slices up, slices up, but I know both Jay and I go through wills quite often, um, almost weekly and say, okay, what's the best way, tax effective best way to pass on money to the grandkids? So here's five, five other ways to help with the grandkids. But again, RESPs are never boring. They're also a good place to start. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.